Okay, we're heading back to Hebrews 13 this morning. Let's get our Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew. Um, if you didn't bring one, I want to encourage you next week to bring one if you have one at home. Uh, going to church without a Bible is like going to lunch without your lunch. Or at least without money to buy lunch. Plus, if I said it, and you don't know if I actually said it from the Bible... And my goal isn't that you trust everything I say, but you trust everything that I say that comes out of the Bible. And so again, I want to, I want to make sure that we are founded in the Scriptures. Okay? Founded in the Scriptures. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Uh, we started last week. Um, let's just read these two verses and then we'll... Then we'll pray and we'll begin. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Pray with me. Father, only you can do what needs to be done this morning. Preach the sermon and open up the ears of the hearer. May the power of the resurrection be here today and the proclamation of your word and obedience and faith to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, we, as we've been walking through Hebrews 13, 1 through now 6, so we've kind of been doing two things at once. We've been looking at the passage, but also using this section as a worldview shaper. Uh, we started with uh, brotherly love, hospitality, but then we really got into the whole worldview uh, shaping when we started looking at marriage and the marriage bed in verses 4. And now we are looking at money, wealth, and possessions in verses 5 and on into 6. Uh, if there aren't more obvious things in this world than marriage the marriage bed and money. Right? Those things are unavoidable, and we've seen God has a lot to say about all of them. And Lord willing, as we uh, continue Sunday by Sunday, even out of Hebrews, we will continue to shape our worldview, our understanding of the world and how we are to live in it as we study Scripture. Um, last week we started the idea uh, of looking at verse 5 of keeping our life free from the love of money. But when we started, we took the approach of first we have to understand what God thinks about money or wealth or riches or possessions. Uh, and the way we were going to frame it was we were going to look at the good of money, the bad, and the ugly. And we spent all Sunday looking at the good. And this Sunday we're going to tackle the bad and the ugly. Um but that that's mainly around verse 5. But I think verse 6 
unfolds in how we are to keep our lives free from the love of money. And this is where contentment comes into play. And I, th- I think as we look at this section, verse 5 and 6, this is sort of a step, stepping stone for us. Keep our lives free from the love of money. How? Contentment. Well, how are we to be content? Well, the Bible tells us that our, that our satisfaction in Christ will lead to our contentment no matter what's going on, which will keep us from the love of money. Now, that's basically the nutshell of verse 5 and 6. But there's so much more we can talk about when it comes to uh, money, riches, wealth, possessions, even contentment and contentment in Christ. And so today, we are only going to st- we're going to take the next step and look at the bad and the ugly, and see where that takes us. And more than likely, next week, spend it talking about contentment. Uh, that would be the last Sunday of the month. So then when we come back on the first Sunday of May, we will get back into our catechism series and look at the next question, which I believe is question 35. I think I edited the website uh, to reflect that since we didn't have one in April because of Easter. So let me, let me just lay out this statement again. I, I kind of paraphrased it as far as what verse 5 and 6 want us to know, okay? You must keep your life free from the love of money by being biblically wise about it, that being money, being satisfied with what you have currently, and having Christ as your most treasured possession. So I'm going to say it again. How are we to keep our lives free from the love of money? Because we're told we ought to. Number one, by being biblically wise, and that's why we're looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the of money and riches and wealth in the Bible. But next week, we're going to consider being satisfied or content with what we currently have or what we will have in the future or whatever, but also having Christ as our most treasured possession. So for way of reminder, last week, I want to hit some highlights So we can roll right into the bad and the ugly. Here's what we got from the good last week. Um, Actually, we prefaced it all with this. Money is like what? Remember? Fire. Fire. Money is like fire. It does good for us, but it also can hurt us. Second thing we got is God does not think that money, wealth, riches are in themselves evil. You pull out a dollar bill, it's not good or evil. Okay? God rewards the humble and the God-fearing with riches. We saw that in Proverbs 22. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And because God rewards the humble and the God-fearing with riches, there are a few things we had to consider. Number one, don't judge your brother and sister in Christ who might have a little bit more than you. Because you might be acting in yourself out of ignorance or in your fondness of money. Number two, seek holiness over riches and then let the chips fall where they may. Number three, in doing so, be obedient to God's will by prayerfully seeking these three ways of life. Wisdom, hard work, and charity. Wisdom, hard work, and charity. Uh, Giving yourself over to hard work no matter whether you're a firefighter, um, a plumber, or 
the President of the United States, or a stay-at-home mom. Uh, and, and so you will be rewarded. And then also pass down to your children an inheritance. Remembering first to pass down to them the inheritance of Christ, His gospel, and His words. Now, I wanted to have make some clarifying statements and questions because, again, we're playing with fire. So when I said some things last week, you might take them and go get burnt. And so I want to make sure we are clear on a couple things. Like I said, the basis of last week's sermon was on Proverbs 22.4, which says, here's the quote, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And what we wanted to understand there is that God, I've, I've already said, does not have a negative view of money. And we've inferred that that reward comes directly from God to the humble and God-fearing. Now, here's what Proverbs 22.4 or anywhere else in the Bible, here's what it does not say. Pay attention. If you are humble and God-fearing, you will be rich. Bible did not say that. And if I taught that last week... Don't remember it. <laughs> if you are humble and God-fearing, you will be rich is not what the Bible taught, nor what Proverbs 22.4 taught. Uh, we can't be reading something like that section that says, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And then say, well, you know, I'm pretty humble. Where are my riches? Because then I'll say, are you? You see the point there? Um, but we also have to think, and this is why under, this is why being in your Bible and being someone who can r- rightly divide the word of truth is you can understand that we can see riches in, a, in many different ways. Right? We have to understand that. Uh, it does mean money. It does mean wealth. But... We have been in Christ giving every blessing in the heavenly places. So we can understand that the idea of being rewarded with riches could have this vast range of not just ways but in quantity. Some of you have been rewarded with a small amount of riches in your God-fearing life. Some of you have been rewarded in drastic quantities in your life. Okay? Um, but here's the thing. Here's what we have to understand when it comes to humans and God rewarding them. Whether you have received no reward, a little reward, or a lot of reward, none of you deserve a reward. Okay? So anything received is still ultimately a gift, and it's not earned. Um, And also, one more thing. I meant to say this at the end last week, but I missed it. As Americans living in the 21st century, Americans living in the 21st century, we who are gathered here today, and I'm looking around, we're rich. I mean, it, if you went, we all, we all drove here in a vehicle. If we were to get a low ball amount for our vehicle, we could feed a family in a third world co- country for a long time. 
Think about that. Think about how many meals you drove here on today, right? So when we when when we step back and think about the idea of being rewarded with riches, well, you have, you you have. Uh, it, it gives when you think about it that way. It gives the the Lord the Lord's prayer sort of it, it helps us to think. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't see we don't we don't pray it in the sense of if the Lord doesn't provide for us tomorrow we're not going to eat, right? But Lord, give us this day our daily bread. What's going to buy my bread? Well, the money. Where do you get your money? What did we say last week? Hard work. You put in the hard work, guess what? You're rewarded. Right? If you have a job, you've already been rewarded. You understand? Okay, so we just have to make sure that we don't uh, take these these scriptures, um, twist them, uh, and, and, and then end up ultimately getting burnt. Okay, so let's move on. What's God say about money? We talked about the good last week. Now the bad and the ugly. So starting with the bad. Now, you all know these things. I'm not going to say anything that's going to surprise anyone. Uh, but the, but the, here's the big problem, though. You know them, but you're deceived anyway. We know these things about money, yet we're deceived. We tell our kids, that's hot, don't touch it. And what do they do? They touch it. We understand if we get too close to the fire, we'll get burnt. Well, what we even as adults, we still get too close. We test the limits. Here are some scenarios in your lives to sort of start thinking about how money can operate negatively, and we'll we'll see the characteristics as we move on here. And all these things are good. You start a new job, okay? You start a new job. And you see a path towards what? Better income. Promotion. And what happens? You get discontent with your current situation. You idolize the potential of advancement, of a raise. You become consumed with work to simply gain more money. Or maybe you want something new. A house, a car, 40 acres, your life becomes consumed with acquiring the thing. You work hard. You make wise decisions. But all at the sake of maybe even taking away from your family. You make that, ac- you make that accusation a priority, a goal for your life, for your family. Setting aside the true goals and priorities and neglecting your family. The third, seeking financial security. Um, in doing so, you can become obsessed about your financial future. Fearful, even. Uh, again, making wise decisions, maybe even hard work. Uh, but even wisdom and hard work can go towards idolatry. You understand? Uh and then not only that, we get our priorities out of out of whack, and we begin to neglect the true things around us, and would even neglect charity because of our greed. Now, a fourth scenario might appear 
is you've received a large sum of money. The Proverbs are very clear that to receive a large sum of money hastily is a dangerous thing. Uh, it could be an inheritance. You sold a house for profit or even just, you know, you you had another kid and so the tax return was a little bit better. Um, you think about a small flame and how easy it is to control a small flame. But what about a large blaze? It's deadly. And so we we might not want to wish or ask the Lord for large sums of money because the possession of a large sum of money is dangerous in many ways. Um, it, it purchases evil. Money can pay for your sin, whether it be a drug or a toy. And anything can be sin because it could be an idol. But having and receiving a large sum of money can also inflate your pride. Um, Solomon writes something to the effect of a wise man ask for doesn't ask for a lot because he knows if he has a lot of riches, he will then to think that he earned it himself. Um, and even in receiving large sums of money, you could turn against your loved ones. Now, those are scenarios. Why, are the, why is that happening? Why, are the, why is this stuff happening when it comes to money? Well, here let's look at some Proverbs to see this. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs 22, or I'm sorry, 27. Proverbs 27, verse 23 and 24. So we're going to look at some characteristics, some bad characteristics of money, and I might also say and possessions, which ultimately equate to wealth. Proverbs 27, verse 23 and 24. The first bad thing about money. Again, I told you, you're all going to know this. I'll just go straight to 24. Chapter 27, verse 24. For riches do not last forever. Wow. You didn't need to come here to hear that, did you? For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? The first thing about money and possessions is that they don't last forever. Sometimes they don't last a week. Uh you want me to give you bad news? The money in your bank account is actually fading away as we speak right now. And even at a higher rate than normal. Seeking something that lasts forever, or does not last forever, living in pursuit of it, or as Hebrews 13 says, being fond of it, right? Loving it, desiring it is as Solomon said, we looked at Sunday evening, it's like chasing after the wind. Right? It's like chasing after the wind. And that's straight up for for money or riches. But even verse 24 talks about possessions. He asks the question, and does a crown endure to all generations? Jesus said it best, didn't he? Your possessions, your treasures on earth, they're in danger. 
Either the moth's going to get them, they're going to rust, and if you escape those two things, what might happen? Somebody might come take it away from you. But what ultimately is going to take it away from you? Death. Death. The great, the greatest devastation. So, when we think about possessions and we think about living for possessions, what we're really talking about is materialism. Living for stuff. Um, and the greatest devastation of, of materialism in the world, and we know it well in America, the greatest devastation to this world has been the impact on the family. I want you to think about think about the American dream and what we thought about the American dream in the, even in the 1800s and the early 1900s. What was it? It was an opportunity to work hard. People came to America because they they wanted a, they wanted a chance to do those three things that we talked about last week: grow in wisdom, work hard, and give charitably. And as that, that has morphed to today. The American dream hasn't become about wisdom and hard work and charity, but it's become an entitlement. See, the people worked hard to get what they had. They were rewarded. But now it's, oh, get out of my mom and dad's basement. Where's my house? Where's my cell phone? Where's my free internet? So we've set aside the work and just we think we get the reward in hand. And so what is that that what does that accomplish? That's accomplished a lifestyle for a family that's unsustainable. It, it, it is sustainable if both mom and dad have to bust their tails, to just simply pay their mortgage and their two their two car notes, feed their family, and at the end of the day, what do they have? Nothing. They have things that won't last forever. And what has that done? It's put strain on our it's put strain on our society. It's it's tore the family apart. The an inheritance we don't even. That's why talking about an inheritance last week was so weird because those things that's just not a norm. Because everyone lives in debt, not in surplus, for the sake of handing and blessing it down to their children. But the only thing we hand down and bless to our children are debt and daddy issues, because of how we live. Right? The family is broken because we all think we need and we have to have. That's a result of living, being fond of something that's going to not last. The other thing, and this is the, the sort of the big one about the bad of money. Money can corrupt. Not, I don't mean itself but can corrupt the one who possesses it. Money can corrupt the one who possesses it. Again, we go back to the fire analogy. Fire in itself, to possess it, is not a bad thing. But when it's handled improperly, it can ruin a person. 
The same is true for money. But the difference is the fire ruins the flesh. The money ruins the soul. When one begins to play with money, the fondness begins to take over. The love of money begins to take over. Corruption sets in. And what surfaces? Dishonesty lying. Abusive power. Theft. Greed. Envy. Anger. All in order to feed the fondness for the money, the riches and possessions. I'm going to rapid fire these Proverbs to you. Proverbs 21.6 The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Proverbs 22.16 Whoever presses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Now you've got... when I'm going to just give you one... Exhortation. Tip 15%. Do it. 15% at least. Because you don't know. Are you robbing the poor when you do that? When you say, I'm just going to do 10 or I just got a dollar in my pocket? See, this is the thing. When we live in a way where we're fond of money, it puts us in a position where we can only rob from the poor. It puts us in a position where we're greedy to even give. Or if we are so fond of possessions that we live in debt, we're we're incapable of helping the needy or giving generously. So you, you, you must be careful in playing with money and possessions. All the above... All those, all those proverbs above are ways of working around wisdom and hard work. When you, when you have a love of money, while you might think you're working hard, you're actually just attempting to make it easier on yourself and making it hard for someone else. When you seek to be sly, dishonest, or greedy, or, or, or abuse your power for the sake of riches, you're just taking shortcuts and making someone else work harder. What did Jesus say? Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul says it like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. We must keep that in mind as we handle money and riches and wealth. That we use it in a way to serve others, not to be served.
So since all the above is true about money and possessions, we can confidently say this. There is no hope, promise, or salvation in the dollar or in your possessions. None. Proverbs 11.7 says this. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. That's how you can sum up the bad about money. It has no promise. It has no hope. And there is no salvation in it. So you might be might be thinking, well, what about the ugly? Because that was pretty ugly. The bad turns to ugly when a person seeks promise, hope, and salvation in money. That's when it gets ugly. Is when someone trusts in money and riches and possessions. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. He will fall. Now, there's three words in there you must consider. Number one, trust. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. That means to depend, to seek shelter and protection underneath. It's the same Hebrew word in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you're thinking... Listen, come on. Why are we talking about this one? Because people are falling every day. And we are in danger of falling if we trust in riches. The second word in that uh, parable is riches, which is obvious here we've discussed. But the third, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. What do you mean fall? I mean perish forever. It's the same word when we talk about falling by the sword, death. You trust in riches, it will kill you. And that becomes clear in the rest of the proverb when he speaks not just of falling or perishing, but he gives the opposite. And he says the righteous, on the other hand, will flourish like a green leaf. Riches bring death so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you will flourish like a green leaf now we'll kind of finish this up and think about the rich young ruler for a minute y'all know that you, you know this guy Matthew 19 the rich young ruler uh, it got ugly right turn with me there let's let's just read it This is the proverb come to life. Starting in verse 16. We're not going to make a bunch of comments on it. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, 
Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So just a couple things about this guy. This man was attempting to find hope and security in great treasured possessions. And how do we know this? Because he began his conversation with Jesus discussing eternal things. Wasn't that his question? He said, how, how, how do I have eternal life? But what hindered him from eternal things was his fondness For temporary things. Keep yourself free from the love of money. He was sorrowful because he had to give up that which he loved. But he missed out on that which was greater and more valuable. And herein lies our problem. Man's problem, the world's problem. Something greater has come to us. Someone greater has come to us. Greater than anything the world has to offer. And that and he who comes to us says, Be with me forever. And we say, No, I'm good with this thing that's gonna perish. I'm okay with this thing that's going to rust. For some of us, it might be money, like this guy, or wealth and greed. But for some of us, it might be control. We're unwilling to give up control of this 
temporary life for the sake of an, an eternal life. Some of us are willing to give up pleasure that fades for eternal satisfaction and joy. We're unwilling to turn away from the temporary vanities of this life. The things that go away like a mist. And we're, we're just trying to grab them and hang on to them. Turn away, unwilling to turn away from those things and to follow Christ to a kingdom, as Hebrews 12 says, that cannot be shaken and that will remain forever. And so, to you know, two things I want to end on. Christian, you must evaluate your life. You must evaluate your heart. Look at your stuff and say, how important is that? Look at the things you chase after and say, how important is that? I've hesitated on this question. I didn't write it down. If I said, would you be... Would you be more upset to lose everything? And I mean everything. Or to be cut off from Christ. That's just something you have to meditate on. And I'm speaking to Christians right now. What do you value? You say you're a Christian, so that means you should value Jesus more than all things. Alright, what did he say? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's a reward. That's a treasure to chase after. But for those of us who have yet to turn and let go of the vein of the temporary things, today is your day. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the hour to turn from whatever you have a hold of. And to turn to Christ. Today is your day to grasp the greatest treasure of all time. Set aside your worldly treasures. Put them away. Whatever they are. Because they're keeping you from Christ. Your worldly desires and pleasures and treasures are keeping you from the greatest treasure of all. Set them aside and follow Christ and be forgiven of your greed, your idolatry, your envy, your anger, your dishonesty. Be cleansed by His blood.
and walk in the newness of resurrection. Don't walk away today like this, guy, like this young guy did. Going back to the worthlessness of the world. And it's, you're all going back, you're going back to something, maybe something different. But don't go back to the worthless treasures and pleasures of this world. But you must give it all up for Christ. And your reward will be eternal. Because your reward is Christ himself. Let's pray. Reveal to us that which we love, Jesus. Show us if it's you. And I pray for myself, and I I speak for myself here only because this is a dangerous prayer to pray. And whoever hears and, and desires the same Lord, hear their prayer. Take from us that which we treasure more than we treasure you. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Teach us your worth. And may we not be found walking away with our head dropped in sorrow. But Lord, might your grace and mercy fill us to run and lay hold. of the Lamb of God. To Him be glory, majesty, honor, and dominion now and forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 98 in the black hymnal. My worth is not in what I own.